Well, good morning. Welcome to Genesis. If it's your first time here, we're glad you're here. I think I recognize just about everyone here. So anyway, it's good to have you here. Well, we are going through the book of Genesis. We're coming to the conclusion. We're, we're dealing with Joseph, and this is really the final story in the book. And so last week we talked about the contrast between Judah and Joseph and showed how character really shapes our life and shapes the direction of our life. And we're going to continue in Joseph's story in chapter 40 of the book of Genesis. And we're going to try and go through both dreams that Joseph interprets in chapter 40 and 41. So let's start off in Genesis chapter 40. If you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand. They'll get one to you. And I'm going to start reading Genesis 40, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, this is, again, following what has happened where Joseph is in prison. Now he's kind of being useful in the prison. But it's sometime later. We know that Joseph is 28 years old when this takes place. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me what, what are, tell me what your dreams. Tell me your dreams. There you go. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dreams. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cups, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, Remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have, been, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. So far, so good. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Is there someone else who interprets dreams around here? 
Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this and more in these stories, we want understanding, Lord, not only about what this means, but what this means to us. What are you saying in this story for us today? And so we pray you would give us the ability to comprehend the attention, to be involved and attentive and for the clarity to grasp hold of the things that are here. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, these two interpretations, these two dreams, we we see that the dreams contain what these two men, these officials, are involved with. The cupbearer has a dream about the grapes and the the baker has a dream about the bread and what it leads to. But as we're dealing with the story, it's not about these two individuals. The story is about Joseph. And as it begins, it says that some time later, Joseph is now in prison for some time. And in this place, this event happens. And this event is going to trigger other events. And we see that in Joseph's life, dreams are the catalyst for change that takes place. And even as he says there, don't interpretations come from God? Isn't God involved with this in some way? And so we look and see, how is God involved in Joseph's life? Because he's in prison. Years ago when I was working in construction, I was engineering fire sprinklers and we would prefabricate the entire job. And so we'd get a a blueprint of a warehouse. And as we'd get the blueprint of this warehouse, it would have the dimensions, it would have how high the beams were, how high the ceiling was. And, And it was my job to design the system that would fit in this building. And oftentimes I would start designing it before the building was even built. And so when the time would come, when they would have, say, the roof onto the building, our guys could go out, the fitters could go out into the job and they could start hanging pipe. And as the job would start and the roof would be on, these trucks would come and there would be this load of pipe and the pipe was already cut. Everything that they needed to do was there on the pipe and it would be on my plans. I'd say, and I, okay, here's the dimensions, so we need to cover this much space. And so we'd list out the pipe, A1, A2, A3, all the way to however big the job was. And the pipe would come and it would have that lettering all on the pipe and the guys would get it out and they'd lay out the pipe and they would sit there and so the guys would come and all the other trades would come and what are you guys doing oh we're laying out the pipe what do you mean you're laying out the pipe oh it's already cut how can it be ready cut we're not even finished here oh because we know what it's supposed to be and so we can design it according to what's supposed to be there 
And it was so cool to be able to design a job and then go out there and say, yeah, it worked. It fits. Everything is going right where it's supposed to. But every now and then you'd get this architect who'd have an idea. I'm going to make it fancy. And I'm going to throw something different in there. And he'd put in an atrium or a skylight or a window. And now then we'd get the fitters. Hey, there's a window right where your pipe's supposed to be. We need to redesign it. We need to make sure that it can work. And so I would get this, you know, little add-on and I'd have to, okay, well, if that's going to be here, oh man, now we've got to tie that all the way over here because we can't run it this way. Otherwise, we won't have enough pressure. And so I was always having to, to deal with those kinds of things. The ceiling level has changed now. It's not going to be uh, nine foot. They want it higher, so it's 10 foot. Okay, all those drops are going to have to change. We're going to cut them to a different time. And we're going to make these, you know, uh, cut on the job because I'm not sure if it's going to be exactly this or whatever, so you have to deal with it. And so I was working with the fitters, working with the architect, designing what needed to go in there. But I would do it before it would even take place. And God is working in a way where even though the life isn't completed, even though the things in his future aren't established, God has this understanding this kind of blueprint of what he wants to see take place, that he is able to work in Joseph's life in a way that it accommodates all the other variables that happen, including his brothers who took him and sold him into slavery, including Potiphar and his wife who accused him falsely and now has him in prison. And what are the chances that Joseph would be in prison when these two officials happened to show up. Now, you might think, well, it's just a wine bearer and a baker. You know, that's not that important, but they're the king's wine bearer. That means he was there to make sure that the wine wasn't poisoned. He was always in the presence. The baker was also someone who was always having access not only to the king, but to the important officials that would be a part of his kingdom. These people were in the know. And so they had a lot of contact with people of influence, and they just so happen now to be in the same place as Joseph. The place just happens to be a prison. And what starts to take place is we see that God is always working, but sometimes it's in the most unseemly ways, at least from our perspective. God, why would you have me in prison? God, why would you allow this to take place? God, and we talked about this before, God, why, God, why, God, why? And God is like, well, you know, I had to deal with your brothers, and I had to deal with this architect over here. And they changed this. And God is always working because he never violates our freedom. Which is mind-boggling that God can accomplish what he wants without compromising our freedom. But just like a, a good engineer can design a building before it's built and just like a good chess player can see three moves and counter moves ahead god is always one step ahead and is always working a purpose if we would understand and see it he has an objective and he doesn't pursue it with brute force the, the game board, he makes his moves in the natural world. It's happening all around us. It's 
cluttered with our human activity, our own objections. Uh, Their objectives might interfere in conflict with his, but he has no problem working around their freedom and their decisions. He works through the ordinary circumstances in our everyday lives to do extraordinary things. If it were the chess match, God would always win. He knows what's taking place. And so God uses these dreams as catalysts. He he injects himself into a dream. Whether it was in Joseph's dream that caused the conflict in his family or the the dream now of the baker and the wine bearer. He, He injects himself there through that dream that they have and as they have that dreams, it's not Joseph's organization. It's not his skills that get him to the next place. It's God's injection into the everyday lives of people that cause a chain event to take place that transforms what's going to happen to Joseph. And where's God going to move next in our lives? What does it look like in our current circumstances? And And maybe we don't like the circumstances that we're in. Joseph didn't like his circumstances. I'm in a dungeon. Get me out of here. But where are those circumstances going to interact with the working of God? And we have to understand that when those situations come, we have to be ready to walk through the door. And so things are taking place and and God is trying to work a situation in your life and and in the lives of those around you. Remember last week we talked about everything that Joseph did, he actually did for others and not for himself, unlike Judah. And so here comes the opportunity. I'm going to send a cupbearer and I'm going to send a baker your way. I'm going to give him a dream and here's your opportunity. And Joseph sees them and if he wouldn't have asked, hey, what's wrong? Why are you so sad? It wouldn't have happened. He had to step into their lives and stepped into the process to make the chain of events occur. And you say, well, what would have happened if he didn't ask? I don't know. That's too big for me. But he has to be ready. And then they say, well, I had a dream. And he says, well, God interprets dreams. Hey, I had a dream. Let's hear it. And he gives them the dream and then he gets the interpretation. He has this understanding that's from God. Here's what your dream means. But if Joseph wasn't there at that time, he wouldn't have been able to step through that door. And that was a chain event that took place. And so it had to happen. He had to be ready. What's going on in our lives? And when God shows up, maybe it's as simple as someone's countenance is downcast. And we ask them, What's wrong? Maybe that little step into the life of someone else will cause a chain event, chain reaction that causes multiple events to take place. But if we never step in, we never ask, it doesn't happen. You see, we have to be ready when the events happen. And we don't always see it as events. You know, you walk in the door, there's a big flashing neon sign saying, talk to him, talk to him. And we look at that person and say, ah, man, they look bummed. 
wonder what it is, and we move on. And there was a series of events that could have taken place if you would have engaged and been ready. How many times does life change because of a conversation with a person at the right time? And here Joseph steps into the door when it opens. He was ready for God's next move. Are we? Are we ready? And I know immediately you're asking, well, I don't know what his next move is. Exactly. And you may not. You may never know what that next move is. And it's kind of interesting because we don't find God's next move being so elaborate. It's just so subtle. And there's almost a paradox to this story because the ones who are officials, the ones who are in control, are the ones who are at the mercy of this prisoner and his interpretation. And so even though it looks like these are important people, you're just the prison innkeeper, this man is actually the one who is having influence on much greater people. And so that's just how God's game board is set up. It's not set up where, yeah, these are the important people, these people don't matter. Not according to God's game. God's saying, oh man, what he's doing. You have no idea how it's going to affect so many people. Well, he's just a a prisoner. He's just in prison. Oh, but not in my game plan. In my game plan, he's important. He's a knight. And so perspective, again, becomes such an important part of what takes place. And our circumstances, where we find ourselves, they're they're like city limits. We're involved in this city limit, but you're not stuck with the way that city is. You can make changes. And so you're seeing things and you see the buildings and you see the walls and you see the parks. You you see all the things that are in your city and you think, well, this is where I live. This is the life I have. This is what I'm subject to. But if you want, you can paint a mural on that wall and, and you can start to beautify your city and you can add something over here and you can do things in the circumstances you're in. You're not stuck with what you have. You can actually create things where you're at. And so we need to see circumstances as not permanent markers, but opportunities to make a difference in things around us. These form boundaries, the circumstances of our life, but freedom isn't breaking out of the circumstances. Freedom is living creativity, creatively in them. So I need to, I got to get out of the circumstance. No, you need to live creatively in it. You need to find God in your circumstances. You need to be ready for that next move, but you need to start making those moves now. You know, when you want to do something like run a marathon, if you're making plans to run a marathon, you don't just sign up and say, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. Unless you've been running for a long time. Okay? If I were to say, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow... I'd give my wife 
the 911 number, you know, to call after so many miles. Because I wouldn't get very far. I haven't been running. I'm not going to make it. You prepare for that event. And when the event comes, the day comes, now I can do it. Why? Because I've been running. Our life is always preparing us for a next step. We just don't see it. But what you do and how you live is preparing you for that next step. So what is going to happen? What is the circumstances you're in? Where do you find yourself? If we can't find freedom, we will stay stuck. And how many of us are stuck in our life? And maybe, you know, it's this job or maybe it's this body or maybe it's this family that I have. Maybe it's these things and we find ourselves stuck in these things and we think, I can't get past them. I can't get out of them. But freedom is the ability to make a different choice about how we look and how we deal with the things around us. Joseph is in prison. Is he stuck? Or does he have an opportunity to involve himself in these two individuals' lives and maybe by that make a difference? And that's exactly what we see takes place. Who did God use to get Joseph to the next stage? These common people that just happened to come in here. Hearts change very quietly, unlike the baby next door. Hearts can change very subtly, and sometimes we don't even realize it. You know, when when did things change? When did I make that move and direction change in my life? It might be something subtle. It might be an event that happened, and all of a sudden it cut you to the heart, and you said, I don't want this. I'm going to change. You know, there are certain things I look back in my life, and I'm like, when did I stop doing that? All of a sudden it just seemed to be out of my life. And it wasn't like this willful planning or event that happened. You know, sometimes the heart collapses and it breaks without any noise. Sometimes reality changes in the most insignificant ways. And sometimes it's as small as your perception of the circumstances you're in, where you move from seeing yourself as stuck to seeing yourself as being able to make a difference and make things better in your life and in the life of those around you. And sometimes that little change will cause a chain reaction of events that will make a huge difference to those around you. The story shares a significant feature that we find throughout these stories in Genesis. God doesn't come onto the stage. He doesn't show up. He doesn't have any lines in this story. We see human circumstances, human interaction, and that's all. And so where's God in this story? He's in Joseph. And through Joseph, he makes his presence known. And through Joseph, he accomplishes his will. And through Joseph, the story changes. What if you're looking for God and God is looking for you to be used by him? When the scripture says in Genesis that he made us in his image, it's not like he made us so he could look at a mirror and go, yeah, look at me, I look good. He made us in his image so that others could see him when they see us. And so where's God in this story? He's in Joseph. He shows up 
in his, through his life. The next time it seems that everything is going wrong, stop asking, where is God in all this? Stop expecting him to, to break down the door, to jump onto the stage and say, ta-da, here I am, I'm about to save you, hold on. Instead, where is God in you challenging the circumstances that you're in? Because he is in you. God enters your story through you. We don't bring God into our world. He's already here, but we give him space to move in us. And that's exactly what we see taking place in this story. Remember, as we've been going through the book of Genesis, the story after story, they're not, here's theology, here's theology, here's theology. No, here is a story, and in this story, theology is dynamic, it's alive. Here in this story, we see why it's important to be truthful, why it's important to not be favorites over other people, show favoritism, why it's important to conduct ourselves in certain ways. Why? Because in this story, of life, we're seeing the theology of who God is and how he interacts with us and with life. And in this story, we are seeing God show up, but it's not like we usually think. It's in the person of Joseph and it's in these very natural, just uneventful seemingly events. And there God is. And so the story ends here with the fact that they forgot him. The cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He got spared, he was thankful, but he forgot Joseph. There's there's that game board again. There's that change. Okay, he forgot him. Okay, now verse 1 of chapter 41 When two full years had passed. Now in the Hebrew it says two full years of days. Which I think is interesting. Because these two years didn't go by quickly for Joseph. These two years of days. Does it ever seem like life is that way to you? Like there's two years of days. Every day counts. Every day is like I'm counting it. I'm counting when you're waiting for something to happen, right? You're waiting for an event to happen, and man, days just go on and on and on. So there's two full years had passed. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. The Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. So the first dream shocked him. It's freaky. These seven zombie cows, okay, eat these other cows. I mean, it freaked him out. He's like, what the heck? Oh, man, that was weird. He falls back to sleep. Again, he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. And so this begins here with when, and it ends here then. When two years of days had passed, then Pharaoh had a dream. So we're, we're framing a s- series of events here that take place. 
So Pharaoh has these unsettling dreams, livestock and the grain. This is how our nation lives. This is our source of food. And it was freaky. It tripped me out. And so in the morning, verse 8, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians, magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Thank you. About time, two years of days later, you remember. Right? Anyone relate to this story? Like, man, where are you? Two years of days, I've been asking, where are you? And here he shows up. I remember now my shortcomings. Verse 10, Pharaoh was once again angry with his servants. <laughs> Uh-oh, that didn't end well for the baker. And he imprisoned me and the chief baker and the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position. Thank you very much. And the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he had to get cleaned up to go. He had to look like an Egyptian to get before Pharaoh. Isn't it funny that we won't hear things from people who we don't see or think of as like us. You might see someone and they don't dress the way you do or they haven't been educated the way you have or they come from a different part of the country and in our framework, if they don't look like us, we have a hard time hearing them. And so they make Joseph look like an Egyptian, dress him up, shave him. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. And no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And here, this is one of those scenes where Joseph shines just beautifully because what he says is basically immediately denying that he has the ability or skill in himself, but he attributes any ability to God. There, there is a God who is able to interpret it. At the same time, Joseph presents himself as God's agent. He's realistic and at peace with what he is unable to do, but he's also confident in what God can do. And what a thing to say to a ruler God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Wow. Amazing. And so Pharaoh goes on to tell him his dream. And he goes on and explains it. And no one could interpret it. In verse 25, Joseph said to the Pharaoh, the dreams of the Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one in the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward the seven years and are so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. 
It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows, it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Did you see how he just went from interpreter to advisor? Pretty smooth there. Let him look for a person whose wise can be put in charge of Egypt. Verse 34, it says, Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So, God gives an interpretation and in that moment, there is the moment for Joseph to step through the door. I have a way out. Pharaoh, you need to find someone wise who can make a plan. And all of a sudden, Joseph has the insight. Here's what you need to do. And he steps and he declares, take this, store up this, save it for this so that you will be able to continue. All at the same moment, he stepped through that. He wasn't like, let's see what you say, let's see what you do. He was intentional about giving the advice. He was intentional intentional on moving forward about what needed to be done. And so, verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God? Because God gives interpretations to dreams. Joseph just brought God into the picture and he used Joseph to make that clear. We find anyone. Now, it's probably good that at this point Joseph was cleaned and looked like an Egyptian. It probably helped in the decision making that Pharaoh went through. Verse 39, it goes on. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Wabam. Talk about a bonus. Okay, talk about a job change. Talk about circumstances turning around. I was in prison and now I am second under Pharaoh. How does that happen? It happens by you having a discussion with a wine bearer and a baker. It starts with you stepping in and making yourself known in the situation. And then it turns around. So Joseph 
Or so Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 41, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. This is putting into action what his words just said. I'm telling you this. Here is evidence that I'm doing it. I'm giving you this ring, putting it on your finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck so he gets some bling. And he had him... Ride in a chariot. He even got wheels, okay? As his second in command. And the people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. We hear this story and we think, Wow, this is great. This is great. What an amazing change of events. As Joseph steps in, he starts moving forward. But something had to happen to Joseph. For him to move forward into these areas of his life, he had to leave other areas of his life. And I'm not talking about leaving prison. He had to leave the things that had happened to him by his own family. He had to leave that tie that he had to move into this new position. There are some things that we have in our minds that are just a part of how we think. Implicit memory refers to our brains, systems that learn and remember things without our awareness of them even happening, like walking. You probably don't remember when you first learned how to walk, you know, how you fell down and how you staggered and stumbled and, and, you know, parents laughed and helped you back up and those kinds of things. You probably don't remember. That's just implicit memory. It's just there. But even through that event, you became, you had your own gait when you walked. You know, it's amazing. You can see someone and I could tell if it's something, I could tell that's my son just by how he walks. Why? Because he's got a certain gait in how he walks. Why? It's just part of how he's grown up and part of his memory. It's those things that he's not even aware of. Because we don't remember those things. But even now, we are one, unaware of those things that have distinct distinctive effects in our lives. It's pretty obvious that negative things can have a negative effect to our mood and to our lives. And so the things that happened to Joseph, being sold into slavery by his brothers, that's a different kind of memory. That's taking more of a central role. And so those kinds of thoughts will affect our mood, right? You guys know that. You have a bad day, you come home, everyone knows you had a bad day. Why? Because it affects your mood. I can remember my wife telling me, why are you so angry? I'm not angry. Well, everyone in the house thinks you're angry. I'm not angry. Shut up. (laughs) See, my mood is being affected by those things. And there was a period of my life in the jobs and things where things were just awful. And I had terrible time at work. And then I'd come home and my mood would be terrible. And, and so we realized that the way we feel, those things that we think, negative thoughts produce negative moves. But I don't think it's as obvious to us that negative moods also produce negative thoughts. And so that negative mood that you're in, it starts to produce the way you think that starts to produce the way you live. 
And once again, you find yourself being stuck by an event that happened to you. Joseph had been betrayed by those who were supposed to be closest to him. And that could be a crippling event in his, mo- in his life. And he has to let that go to move on to this new opportunity that's there before him. But if he was in the prison saying, I don't belong here, this isn't right. Do you know what happened to me? I don't care about your dream. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about what happened to me. And instead of having the idea of looking forward to a different future, he would have been stuck in the past. A lot of us get stuck in our past, in a situation that happens to us, traumatic events that we are blindsided by that knock the wind out of us that bring us to our knees and we feel just crippled and unable to move forward and we don't realize that our way of thinking is actually affecting not only our mood but our mood is affecting the way we think and pretty soon it's just the circle that we go in over and over again oh man don't you know what happened oh man this is terrible oh i guess this is how it is and pretty soon we don't see a way out And you have to be willing to put the past behind you so that you can move forward to a new future. And again, that could be the most subtle change. It happens just with a perception. It happens just with thinking, I'm not going to be defined by this. I'm going to go roller skating today. You're thinking, what? I'm just going to do something different. I'm going to go for a bike ride. And in that bike ride, after the days go by, you start to get a different change, and then you actually run into someone, and it changes a series of events. Who knows? But it began with a small change, something almost imperceivable that took place in you, letting go and moving forward. How many relationships are destroyed because we cannot let go and we do not see a future. And we're stuck in that circle. Change the perception, you'll change your world. And so Joseph isn't bound by the past. He's not wrestling, holding on to it. He's able to escape what was done to him Otherwise, he'd never be able to move on to a better life. And as he tells Pharaoh these dreams and interprets them, again, what he's doing is helping not only himself, in fact, he's helping others around him. The important thing is not, when will your circumstances change? It's when will there be an opportunity, and when that opportunity comes, will you walk through it. Most of the times when my wife and I are arguing, it's her fault. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) Most of the time when my wife and I are arguing, the way we get out of the argument is really a matter of timing more than it is finding an answer. If I'm being embittered and harboring just hostile feelings and she's starting to say, hey, I'm sorry, you know, let's, hey, you want to do something? And she's trying to have that olive branch out and give peace offering. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't say it like a baby. (laughs) Say, no, I'm busy. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, got things to do. As I play Clash of Clans or something. Or vice versa. She extends something or I extend opportunity to her and she's hurt and so she closes. And really what has to happen is when that olive branch is extended, someone has to jump through the door and say, I'm here. Let's make peace. So that we can get out of this life that we're in. So we can get out of this circle of tension that we're in. And that's true in so many circumstances in our lives. An event happened, and when that door opens, will you walk through it or will you be stuck because of what happened to you? That you won't take the step necessary to get through it. It's not so important what your circumstances are. What's important is when the door opens, will you walk through it? Because God is always working, and when the time comes for the move, will you be the person he can use and move? Let's pray. Father, what an amazing story and what powerful truths are here. And Lord, even though Joseph was able to forget where he had come from and what had happened to him, he did not forget who he belonged to. And Lord, that is the foundation that he has been building his life on. And that faith in you provides the opportunity to see and have hope. Lord, we as your people, people who believe in you, Jesus, should above everyone else be people of hope. We believe that God can do the miraculous and he does it in the most seemingly insignificant ways. God is able to change hearts ever so subtly, but ever so drastically. God is able to change circumstances so completely, yet it begins so invisibly. And wherever we find ourselves right now, we are people who have hope that you will bring us forward, that the way you work is through your people, that your church is your agency to the world around us. And just as Joseph cared about those around him, it brought him to a position that changed his environment. God, if we will be people who care about those around us, it will do the same. And if we look for those opportunities and when the door opens, may we jump through that. When the circumstance provides the opportunity to make the change, may we be ready and not harboring in our, our hurt, not paralyzed by the pain of what happened to us. May we be ready to move and leave that past behind and move forward to the future that you have for us. And may the way you work around us be seen through us. May we look for those invisible signposts that tell us 
you are here and you are working. May we be ever so aware of those silent, subtle changes that take place that snowball into huge changes later on. May we not underestimate what you are able to do, even as this story so powerfully illustrates. Bring change in us. And as we are desiring this change to take place in us, we are going to come before God and ask him to do just that. We're going to do it through song. We're going to do it in worship. We're going to still our hearts and focus our attention on the God who is speaking and working, planning, designing, and making moves that we get to be a part of. Let's give him the worth that he deserves in our song and worship.